So put up the first question, all right? So to, um, um, since uh, this service is, um, maybe we'll get there in this one, but it's time of question and answer based on the things that we have taught over the last probably six to eight weeks. And so the instruction was that questions should be sent in. And based on the questions that were sent in, some of those questions, um, I mean, this is how the selection was done. Some of them had nothing to do with the subject that we taught. So I, I will answer those ones privately, at my convenient. All right. And then from the ones that addressed the issue that was taught, all right, we, I tried to pick what was most representational. In other words, some of the questions were, um, maybe five of them were essentially saying the same thing. So I, we just chose one. So if your exact question was, is not answered here, right, then you'll find um, one that will answer that question in it. Uh, so we'll start with question one, okay? And I took time, so I, I still on message to at least the high points of the answers that I want to give. All right, so it, uh, the first question here is, it says, I understand that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation, I also understand that I am to imagine my future with the answer to my prayer integrated into my life. So his question is, please do enlighten me on how to balance these two. In other words, if I have God's word to me that says, I will sprinkle the nations, which is in Isaiah, kings shall shut their mouth in awe, and they come to the brightness of my rising, how do I imagine these as my reality there? And at the same time, not make it of private interpretation. So maybe I even saw something I had not seen in what this person is asking, all right, in this particular thing. But first of all, uh, let me answer and say this. When faced with an issue, all right, sorry. Um, all right, so when it comes to private interpretation, so first of all, we want to make a distinction or define what private interpretation is. And then, so then, also now talk about the use of imagination, all right, as a faculty there in the process of believing God and receiving certain things in your life. And then to see where the conflict may arise, right? And I think another thing he is actually asking for is a particular place which I alluded to earlier that in the practice of this, I think what he's saying also is like you are venturing into what we'll call sacred ground. In other words, if he goes through with this particular practice here, that it's, 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 it's a fearful thing, all right, to do that. I think that also is embedded in his question, and I'll answer that. So first of all, in dealing with private interpretation, what it means that we shouldn't come with uh, any form of personal prejudice, which means that we already have inclined, all right, to what we want God to do. And then try to make the scripture say what you want it to say. And in order to do the private interpretation, you therefore isolate the scripture, all right, from the context of the entire Bible and extract an interpretation that furthers your cause. So, private interpretation comes when a person already comes with a preconceived idea 
and then now tries to make or to find the scripture that fits into that preconceived idea and then violates, right, or what the Bible says does violence to the word of God, which means that suggestions with a small still voice that show you other scriptures that contradict that and says this interpretation cannot fit into the context of the whole word, word of God, you silence that voice inside your heart to push your own agenda. An example we have is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. And here was Satan tempting Jesus. And he said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. And then quoted scripture, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time you should dash your foot against the stone. In other words, he was trying to suggest that that scripture says, all right, you will not dash your foot against a stone at any time. And then Jesus, all right, wanted to correct that private interpretation and said, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So what he says was again. So what happens when a person practice private interpretation of the scripture? In fact, you can't come to the place where you believe in your heart and doubt not. Because what happens is, the minute you take that, the other scriptures begin to speak to you because it's privately interpreted and extracted from the context of the entire scripture. Other scriptures immediately begin to tell you that something is wrong. All right? Even people, you come to a meeting and the preacher quotes scripture and teaches, it just rocks the boat on the inside. Right, because that scripture has been, you've, you have deduced things from that scripture that God himself was not saying. So the spirit of God, who is the breath, and one that breathed the scriptures there, will contradict that interpretation. And therefore, since he lives on the inside of your heart, you just cannot come to a place of real satisfaction there. So that's what private interpretation all right, means. Now, but imagination is used this way. You get your revelation from God, and then you use your imagination in meditating. In other words, you hold on to your imagination just like your words. You don't speak until you have heard. So you meditate upon these things that have been revealed. And so the imagination there is used as a tool for meditating there. All right? And once you understand and the Spirit reveals things, uh, the Spirit speaks in the language of pictures, which means he will paint a picture. That's why he created man in his image. In other words, in his communication, he uses images there. So he will paint the picture. And we've taught this before. If I say I have a red Mercedes Benz, and you understand what I just said, you don't see R-E-D-M-E-R-C-E-D-E-S. A picture of a, red, of a Mercedes Benz and then splashed red comes into your consciousness. Now, if I say the same thing in French, and you don't understand French, then what happens is, even though you heard words, a picture could not be formed. So where there's a revelation, a picture can be formed there. Now, I think that also he's suggesting, and I just wrote this here, that you may be afraid, and this is where people get to it now. So you may be afraid there, which means once you have, you see, 
if you don't have authorization of revelation from God concerning something, and you delve into the place where you want to use your imagination, you get into metaphysics, all right, and it borders around witchcraft because you're trying to impose something that might involve people without any authorization from God. And I think inside that, all right, there's a suggestion in that question now, right, not to cross that particular line because the image that will be painted by God, right, because it's a promise of God that only the ability of God can carry out, there is nothing, all right, you can do in the natural, which means if you combine all your resources and all your network, it just cannot produce what God has revealed to you. And if you accept the picture of it in its detail, then this is something that is massive. But the refusal of people to engage, all right, in practical meditation upon it, even when the Holy Ghost is suggesting that thing to you, do you get what I'm saying here? Is what really produces failure. Are you following what I'm saying? All right? Now, but if, if the Holy Ghost doesn't reveal it, all right, then if you try with them, but once the Holy Spirit reveals it and the picture is painted right on the inside of you, your meditations can be disclosed to anybody because it is deep private stuff and sacred between you and God. Are you following me? I won't say more than that. All right? But it's massive. Okay? And when people practice that, then it, it becomes very difficult for them to fail. So the difference is you only use your imagination on what God has revealed to you. So if he has revealed to you, all right, that, okay, this is what I want to do, let's just say in this city, then you reimagine the city from what it appears to be now to what God has shown you. And then by doing that, you put yourself in a position where the power of God can flow through you, which means you transform the outside by the renewal of your mind. So we can say by reimagining your heart, then your life will be changed into that. That's why it says we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. But the things that are not seen that you are looking at must be as detailed as what is seen. Do you get what I'm saying here? So you can't just have kings wearing crowns running around in your imagination. Because there's nothing like that in reality. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? I won't say more than that. Okay. Question number two here. My first question, is it possible to shorten the wait time for the manifestation after praying the will of God for that situation? Gotten a conviction that, it, conviction that it answer has been answered. Daniel prayed, heaven responded immediately, but the manifestation came after 21 days. I have been waiting for the manifestation of a specific request I made unto God. God approved, signed off on it, even though I'm still waiting for the answer after seven years. This waiting period has tested my resolve, conviction, yet I am standing. It is tough. What must I do to accelerate the, the case? Now, to be very honest with you, you know, seven years is a long time. And if a person is waiting on someone for seven years, all right, I'll talk more on this. Listen properly you are probably missing something. Okay? But let me just say this here. Son says, can I shorten the time? Haven't prayed and believed. Yes, you can shorten the time. Okay? 
you can shorten the time. The reason why we are saying this in terms of shortening the time is that God's plan for Israel it was to take them 40 days. In fact, there was a short route, shorter route to that place, but the amount of warfare, he said, they will doubt whether I'm with them. But let's say 40 days, and it took them 40 years. Now, it is possible, and we saw this in the case of Moses, where Moses lifted up the rod, and this happens to us. He lifted up the rod, and everything was going on well, and it can happen in your own life. In other words, for one week, you are practicing it right, then suddenly you don't do it for two weeks, then you come back again. So what happens is that Moses lifted up the rod and after a time he got tired. And it's due to tiredness here. Okay? And he put the rod down. Alright? Put there. In fact, somebody asked me, I never got to that question about him changing where he lives from his parents' house somewhere and it has destabilized his prayer life. And also, listen, and I noticed in my own life now that you know, if I'm believing God for something, I'm always careful and to decide whether I should travel, all right? Because when you travel, it dis- because I'm used to my environment in my house, how I pray, you travel. I mean, I've traveled not once, not twice. I think three times it's happened now. And I was praying, I thought I was praying silently until this, somebody in the other world was banging the wall. All right? Okay? One even recorded my tongues. And then one knocked. He said, what were you doing? What were you doing? As I said, I've recorded it, all right? So, you, in my own house, nobody's recording that. So, you know that something has to change when I'm, do you understand it? So, it destabilizes, all right? And so, to travel now, I must be mentally prepared, all right? It's something deliberate. Or else, the rod I'm lifting, I can drop it during the time I traveled, only to come back and find out that there's some level, I've lost momentum on that particular thing. Are you following what I'm saying here? Yeah. So, the issue here is that you can lift the rod up and be believing God and believing God, right? Like Moses, he put the rod down, you gained ground, but before you got to manifestation, you put the rod down, all right, and stopped that intensity, and so, the thing came back again. Then you put it up again, and the thing went, and then it came back, and you can be doing that for years, all right, and not consistently in a focused way, all right, zero in, where your Bible says you meditate and give yourself wholly, completely, all right, so that the profiting might appear. So you did it wholly for two days, and then you began to, you know, get involved in other things. So uh, it can affect, all right, time of manifestation. All right. Second thing about it is, all right, bringing people together consciously. Now these are people that genuinely, all right, are, like we have a cell genuinely here. Your hearts are united to help you in prayer concerning that thing can shorten the time, right, of its manifestation. Because the scripture says one will put a thousand, two, all right, will put ten thousand. So when you get people into agreement in prayer, there is an exponential increase in the measure of power, all right, that is released. Even Paul himself, or in the book of Hebrews, we see it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18 and 19, right, we see about him saying, be restored. Pray for us. For we trust to have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. And then he said, but I beseech you rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the word sooner. All right? So he said this can hasten things there. Right? So corporate prayer, right, can help you in doing that. Getting people to support you. It is as real as you trying to lift Something that is very heavy, if you have to just by your own self, all right, lift, all right, this air condition and take it, 
It will take you much longer if you are doing it by yourself than if five people come in to help you. You will do it quicker, all right? And it's the same thing as it is in the natural. We have that parallel there in the realm of the spirit. So that help will, will, will be good. And then number three, all right, you've got to understand that there's a principle in Mark chapter 4 and verse 24. And many of us don't know this or we know it and don't practice it. He said unto them, take heed what you hear. So you've heard it. But he said, understand with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. In other words, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says, give a more earnest heed to the things you hear. Now, many times we hear, and he says, don't neglect the salvation, and we neglect what we have heard. Uh, this scripture says, the measure of thought and study you give is the measure of virtue and power that will come out. Which means the amount of time you spend with the word of God there is the amount of power that will come into your life. And that determines the rate at which a particular thing can happen in your life. Remember, even in the principle of the, of the sower sowed the word, some fell among thorns. And because of the distraction, it was choked, even though they had the word for that particular thing. But the cares of this world, the sinfulness of riches, lots of other things came in and choked the word of God. And that will, all right, slow down the process, all right, of manifestation and can grind it to a halt. And the final thing about it is many people believe God for things, but don't cross the line in thanking God and praising him as though that thing is already in their hands. This is very important. All right, we can hear about praise, and you've got to cross this line here. So you are not a hearer, and not a you are a hearer, not a doer, which means you get self-deluded, which means you you have deceived yourself. And once a person, right, so when you hear praise, you think you are doing it, but actually you are not practicing it, right? So spend time rejoicing. I remember Brother Copeland saying this that he used to call scriptures. He was believing God for something, and he would call the scriptures from memory. And God said, "The instruction I give." is that incline your ear, let them not depart out of your eyes. So make contact with those, that scripture there, meditate upon it, practice that. These little things are the things that throw us off balance, all right, and will. And I, I think I, it was during Wafbeck, um, Crefodola, he said this. He said, somebody comes to meet him and says, well, I didn't get the manifestation. This is the question I will ask you. He said, are you satisfied with the amount of time you spent in the world regarding that particular thing? Or were there no genes you had in your heart to look into the word of God and you neglected it? He said, that will be the test, all right, in terms of manifestation. All right, question number two here. Is it a display of ignorance to plead the blood of Jesus in prayer? Some New Age preachers opine that it's outdated. I pray effectively and I plead the blood of Jesus... And I plead the blood, and until Jesus comes, I think I will plead the precious blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but as my spiritual father, I'd like you to know your take on this. In other words, no matter what you even say, I am pleading the blood. <laughs> Isn't that what he said there? Okay. I just want to know what you have to say about it. Now, now <laughs> let me just say what's here. Now, let me just say this here. A lot of times when people say things like this, it's just pure semantics. In other words... If people understood what it meant when you say you plead the blood, right, they will understand that it's just like Jesus said, uh, your sins are forgiven and people got angry. He said, look, I can say your sins are forgiven. I can say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Essentially, in the realm of the spirit, we are saying the same thing there. 
So if somebody came and said, by the mercy of God, this will happen, people will say, no problem. You say, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ, people will say, there is a problem. And I do think the reason why people have, all right, some, they recoil at pleading the blood is that probably the first people they saw pleading the blood, right, did it in such a, an unusual way. You know, maybe they were saying, I plead the blood. So they developed a mindset that this pleading the blood looked somehow and funny to them. Well, I think Reverend Kenneth, I'm sorry, uh, Mark Hankins uh, teaches this in, in Wavbeck KF. All right? So if you go to court, you can either plead guilty or not guilty. All right? And that's based on the actions you've carried out. You believe you didn't do it, you plead not guilty. You did it, you plead that you are guilty. In other words, the actions will show you did it. My actions will show I would not do it. But it says when you come and plead the blood, what you are saying in effect is this. All right? I am asking for this thing not on the grounds, all right, of what I did right or what I did wrong. I'm asking on the grounds of the blood of Jesus Christ. And peradventure, I have done anything wrong that I didn't know. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement on the peace. In other words, Father, it's on the grounds of blood of Jesus Christ. I ask for these and not based on that. So if somebody says, come and dedicate a car, and he says, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this car. What that person literally is saying is, I declare the mercy of God over this car. In other words, even if this person driving the car makes a mistake and drives into a place and did not hear God or disobeyed a nudging inside their heart and they are to run into trouble, the mercy of God shall speak on their behalf. That every activity carried out in this car will be done on the... Do you get what we're saying here? All right? Okay, so that's what it means, all right, to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, so now question number three here, which is a good question here. I'm a new member, and I recently started attending a government church. During one of the sessions of prayer, you said that when you read the scriptures regularly, then in time of need, we can easily get specific scriptures that speak the mind of God to our situation. Okay, which is true. I would like to ask, what's the best way to study the scriptures regularly? Is it picking a particular chapter, all right, of scripture every day, or is there a guide you could recommend to daily reading of the Bible? Now, I'm going to do a series on discipleship after, all right, the minister's conference, which is September um, 7th. So I'm going to start on that. When I say discipleship, I want to talk on things here, all right, that makes for a good Christian. I will teach more on this. But let me just say this here, okay? So a Christian comes to meet me and asks me this question in terms of the Bible. Now, there are many ways in which you can study the Bible, all right? You can do what is called, now, this is more advanced, Topical study, which means you take a topic, so you want to study righteousness. You can do character study, which means you want to study a particular character and learn things, David. All right? You can do what is called the study of a book and do that. All right? You can, you can, there are different ways in which you can take the scripture and, and study. So you can study a topic, you can study a book, you can study a character. Uh, there are ways in which you can do that. Right? But in general speaking, somebody wants to get proper introduction into the scriptures. Uh, let me just say this it this way. Now, I'll just give you a scale of things. Not that it's exact, not that you put it in exact terms. But we break the Bible to that person to three groups, three sections. The Old Testament, this is what I'll tell the person, the Gospels, and then the New Testament. The reason is, when the apostles in the New Testament want to speak to validate what they're teaching, they will cite the commandments of Jesus, all right, separate from maybe the prophets or the law, all right, to back up that thing. So there was something about Jesus, all right, when he came and taught in the gospel where he said, 
you have heard, but I say unto you. You have heard, but I say unto you. There's an authority there. So I'll tell you, you need to study that. However, you also need, most importantly, to study the New Testament. Because the New Testament is an explanation without which you will not be able to read the Old Testament and get what you need to get if you don't understand the New Testament. Some of those things are written and there are Jewish codes and all of that in it. And therefore, God had to take Jewish people that understood some of those terminologies to break it open and teach it to the Gentile. So the Gentile mind might not be able to grasp the import of some of those things without, first of all, understanding, all right, things that were said. And in the history of the church, all right, the more people deviate from the letters of Paul, right, without taking it into consideration and interpretation of scripture, the more prone they are to heresies there. So, it's important. So, here's what I'll tell you. Right? Read two chapters, let me just say this here, in the letters there, in the New Testament, read one, one chapter, let's just see, I'm just saying on scale here, every day in the gospel, and read one chapter, all right, in the Old Testament. Now, if I want to get more detailed, I will tell you this. The place where you should start reading is the book of Romans. Uh, the gospel, you should first of all focus on read the one that John wrote. And then if you go to the Old Testament, start with Genesis. Alright? Because Genesis is plain. Okay? If you go into Leviticus, you will not know what they are saying. <laughs> okay. Alright. Thank you for listening.